Welcome to Rogue Bogues, episode 14. Mr. Pro, how goes it? Not bad, brother. Not bad. How you doing, Bogues? All good. All good. A, uh, a busy week with NBA trades. We'll get to that in a second. But we have a correction. One of our avid listeners has let us know the picture tweeted last week by the strength trainer, women from the women's program there, that that pick was actually not from the same arena. They're in separate arenas, pro, so we made a bit of a boo-boo there. Man, like, you know, I wasn't really paying attention. I'm a fucking half an idiot. Like, I graduated with a 2.01, probably last in my class. But, like, the way she did it, and I, and I, I didn't know about the strength coach. I followed the girl from Oregon. And uh, she tweeted, I just thought she like walked over to the guys and then walked over to hers and, and just photographed both. But, you know, and, and even my boys in my group chat thought the same thing. A couple of them thought the same thing. I, I, yeah, whatever. I'm a fucking moron and, and it is what it is. I don't but think I so. Even- I mean, I think it was pretty, it kind of was made out like it was in the same arena. Like, let's be honest, it was, it, it did, it got us, it got a lot of people, um, but it was two separate arenas. We, we obviously know now that the games aren't played in the same arenas for men's and women's, which is interesting in itself. I don't know why they wouldn't do that, but um, if they're trying to help the women's game, I guess you could do a double header or, or, or a triple header, you know, four games in a row, you know, male, female, male, female, that wouldn't be a bad thing because at least you get, you know, more eyeballs on the game, but we will live with the mistake, but- Following up from that, we also got some more numbers that were just released this week when we speak about the the male-female equality, money, NCAA, even the professional issue. And just some quick numbers, um, the NCAA have said that in 2019, the men's tournament brought in $864 million and the women's tournament lost $2.8 million. So when we talk about all this stuff, I mean, like I said, um, women in sport is very important, like I said, especially at the junior level, um, getting girls involved in sports, which historically wasn't huge numbers, but it's getting better and better. It's huge for, for, for everything, personal development and learning to work with people. We've discussed that all at, at different times, but that's a pretty big disparity, Pro, and I think you know that's what people need to realize. Once this you know gets political, it kind of muddies the waters a little bit. We want, the f- we want female athletes to have great facilities and all that. That, and I think the NCAA are in a prime position to do it. But at the end of the day, um, money talks and the rest is kind of history. Yeah. I mean, like we talked about last time, you try to do as much equal equality as you can as far as facilities and, you know, salaries of coaches and, and sort of what you give the players and uh, amenities and things. But you got to look at it like, you know, you can continue to try to grow the women's game. But, you know, at all levels, they're just sort of financially not really carrying their weight with this, you know, it's not even close and, and they got to figure out how to sort of, you know, at least get in the positive direction where they're breaking even or making some money and building. But uh, right now they, they really haven't figured that out on the women's tournament stuff or, or, or the WNBA. But, um, you know, I just thought it, w- it was an interesting story with the whole um, with the whole weight room thing. And then and then the numbers come out and all that. But they got to understand too, like it, it. I mean, the numbers—it's not even close. Well, then you follow that up, and you get you get Megan Rapinoe, whatever her name is, the, the women's U.S. women's soccer player. Biden has her up on on stage, you know, telling us how sexist the world is and whatnot. I mean, that doesn't help things, in my opinion. But would you happen to know who the biggest viewer of women's sport is? What do you mean, like the the biggest like group? Yeah, males. <laughs> <laughs> males yeah i would assume males are the biggest you know so you, you talk about the equality issue and, and for for our female listeners the, the best way to have women's sports do better than it is 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 support it so yeah males are the biggest followers i, I was i didn't realize it was and it's not even close i don't think it's 
you know, it's not 55, 45, 64. It's, it's the majority of viewers are, are male. So that's interesting in itself. But did you happen to see Blake Griffin's first basket? I heard it was a dunk. I didn't see it. Was it a lob or, or something like that? Uh, or it, was a dunk? A, it was a dunk. Came straight down the middle of the lane and went off one foot. So for those that aren't familiar, Pro and I had a little bit of a debate. Um, you know, I, I said that Blake would find some of those fresh legs because his role is going to be diminished and he's not going to be asked to do a whole lot. And Pro was kind of like, nah, I don't think so. And first play was a dunk, Pro. Yeah, fuck. As usual, you know, anything I say, just bet the opposite. I'm like Eddie fucking Mush from the Bronx Tale. I, I think you're right, though. Like that diminished role, it, it's not anything against him, but that really helps a maximize his minutes and, and sort of the things that he can do. And obviously, it just puts them in a better position to win rather than being a, a go to guy or a starter for that. Obviously, he can't do that, but. I think if they play him short minutes in a, in a good role, that uh, that he could he could put up some decent numbers in small minutes and give them a a boost, you know, come playoff time. I agree. Let's move on from the housekeeping. It's trade season is officially over. And there's been some some interesting moves. It kind of was looking pretty slow three or four days out from the deadline, but then it, it ramped up. There wasn't anything huge or major, but let's go through a few of the ones I have on my sheet here. The first one, the Orlando Magic have traded Aaron Gordon and Gary Clark for Gary Harris, RJ Hampton, who our NBL fans will be familiar with, and some future first-round picks. How do you see that one? And give me a winner. Obviously, Denver won it on that. You know, they're, they're trying to unload. So, I mean, uh, Orlando's trying to unload salary and just try to rebuild. And, you know, Gary Harris has been banged up. RJ Hampton hasn't done anything. The first-round picks mean nothing when you're going to be, you know, you're going to be like drafting 25, 26. So Aaron Gordon's on a d- difference maker, but he's a really good player, like a good rotation player for you. He hasn't really done much in his time in Orlando as far as, you know, average like 13, 14 a game. His three's been a little bit better this year, but it gives them, it gives them a good, solidifies their bench. And I, I you know, for, for Denver, and I think Orlando, you know, look, they're just trying to get off money. They're just trying to get draft picks. They're trying to re- rebuild it, you know, so it just sort of puts them, you know, closer to that. But I- I'm not a huge Aaron Gordon fan. I think he, you know, that demanding a trade stuff was was pretty funny just because he hasn't really done anything. You know, he's had five or six years to sort of get it done in Orlando, and he's just been okay. You know, he, he couldn't even be a best player on a team that couldn't even make the playoffs. So, um, I think now being in a lesser role coming off the bench, um, you know, it could be the fourth or fifth guy, a fourth guy on the court. I think it gives, it boasts their scoring a little bit. And if he plays the right role as a cutter, spot up player, straight line driver, you know, and play solid, I think, I think it could really help them come playoff time. Well, that's a question. Can he do that? I mean, that's that's what I'm looking at. Um, he was, you know, he, he, yeah, I don't think he's wired for that. What do you think, folks? Well, he had the ball in his hands a lot of the a lot of the time. I don't know what his usage was in Orlando, but I'm guessing the majority of the usage would probably be him and, and Vooch. But yeah, you're going to a system in Denver that is 90% of the touches go through Nikola Jokic, and rightfully so. Obviously, no one's arguing that. So can he play off the ball? I mean, I think he, he is a definitely, definitely a, a lob threat and a cutting threat if he wants to be. The problem that, that I see is will he be okay with probably not getting a touch for four or five straight possessions and still cutting his heart on that fourth or fifth possession or will he pout and get a little bit mad I, I need to get mine I don't think he'll, he'll be okay with like you said a fourth fifth sixth option I think he'll come in there thinking that he's he's the third 
um, behind Jokic and um, Murray. And I'm, I'm interested to see. I, I don't think it really moved the needle a whole lot for me. I think um, Denver tried to do something because they've been very inconsistent. They've found a little bit of consistency the last month, but they've been up and down like a yo-yo. But I, I'd agree with you. I don't think it really moves the needle. I think it's really in a, a nothing trade in my opinion. Um, Magic's shooting salary. The Nuggets got a, a good player, but not someone that's now going to take them to, to a championship. No, and he's not a cerebral player. He's not a thinker. He's not a playmaker for other people. And he should take a uh, page out of Jeremy Grant's book. You know, Jeremy was, you know, helped Denver win, you know, started making shots after after he got there, started making shots consistently, started getting a little bit of a bigger role and built that slowly and then got overpaid by a bad team. And, And now he's a number one option. Anytime that Gordon has the ball like isolated or in pick and roll, with the ball in his hands, he just he's not good at it, and in, and he just continues to like diminish his value by trying to do it and by trying to be that go-to guy. He's really good if he really wants to, you know, maximize that role. He's got to cut off Jokic. He's got to spot up on the weak side. He's got to run in transition, be a lob threat. You know, get the ball in the post if they switch on a, a smaller guy switches onto him. He's got to play that that role. If he tries to be, you know, ch- trying to show that he could be a number one, he's not the number one guy. I don't think any. I don't think thirty general managers in the league would tell you he's not a go to guy. But he can be a really good third or fourth option, most likely a fourth option. But he can play that role. But the problem is he's like mid season, he's past mid season, and now he's got to get into this different mindset of you know being sort of a lesser role but trying to help them win and like i said harris was hurt he was banged up rj hampton really hasn't done anything for him so for denver it's a win-win because you know the only problem is they they got to pay they got to pay gordon um they got to continue to pay gordon i think after this year too he makes over 20 million uh 20 million dollars for next year as well so um it's a gamble but like you said it doesn't really move the needle all that much yeah, I think it's a win for Denver as well, only by default, because like you said, I think the Magic were just shedding salaries and just trying to clean things up there, and they're going full rebuild, so we'll give the win to Denver. Next one was Miami Heat acquired Victor Oladipo. They got rid of Kelly Olenek, Avery Bradley, and a 2022 draft pick swap, so a pretty meaningless pick. We probably anticipate Avery Bradley will be bought out, I assume, or he'll he'll move on, but that's a pretty good get for, for Miami. They didn't give up too much. They got a Another scoring threat that can help give them a push to, you know, to another conference finals. Um, I don't think they'll, they'll get much further than that, but I think their their roster has been re- revamped a little bit. Yeah, I think it, it definitely helps them. I, I just don't know what Houston's doing. They make this trade for Harden. They get picks that aren't really going to be all that great. You know, and, and but the one thing that I thought that they did really well in the trade is they acquired some talent at the two guard position uh, with Karis Levert. And then they have sh- ended up shipping him for Oladipo that everybody and their mother knows that Oladipo wanted to go to uh, Miami and wasn't going to sign with Houston. So they make the uh, Harden trade. All they get is picks and they, they ship out Levert. Now they make this trade with Oladipo. But I don't think the market was all that high for Oladipo. I, I think that I don't think they could have really gotten much more. But now they got this pick swap that's really nothing. It's going to probably turn into two seconds or a second round pick. I forgot how that works. And it, it depends on how they fall versus Miami record-wise. Uh, I think it's a win-win for Miami. It just bolsters scoring for them. Um, I don't know if they're going to start him or, or bring him off the bench, but it just gives them another weapon in playoff time. And as we talked about in, in playoff time, you need that weapon 
Uh, you need that player that could really score besides your number one, your number two option. You need somebody who could really get in there and, and, and put up some points. And I think Oladipo in a third or, f- you know, third best player role is a lot better than being a go-to guy, your number one. What do you, you know, what yeah. else do you think on that? Yeah, yeah I, I agree. I think it just helps them, gives them more scoring. They've got, they've got some real injury issues. Butler can't stay healthy. A few other guys are in and out of lineup. So I think they've got a, a shitload of scorers now. And they also, another move they made was they got Nemanja Bielica from the Sacramento Kings for, um, Mo Harkless and, and Chris Silver. I think that was a good move too because it gives them a five now that can, you know, play the five periods um, to back up Bam that can shoot that three ball. And he hasn't had a great year this year, but the year before he played really well. So I think those two moves helped them. We'll talk a little bit later, but I, I assume they they, they they anticipated getting um, LaMarcus Aldridge. There were some rumors that they'd be signing there, but that's just been announced that he's going to Brooklyn. We'll talk about that later. But I mean, I think they did pretty well. I think the moves they made and like you said, Oladipo is now third option. That's a very good scorer. Could be second option on some teams. So mix that in with, with everything that they have. I, I like it and I think it gives them a nice push. They're playing better than they, they were in the first month. They're starting to get a little bit healthier and I think they have a chance for the conference finals. Yeah, they can get Belizzi in that four-man spot and just keep Hero coming off the bench with Nunn, Robinson, and Iguodala. Ariza's in there too now. Yep. Yeah, and just spread the floor a little bit. Belizzi... Blitzia probably has the worst season of his career this year in, in sack, but he's he can really shoot when he gets his confidence, and I, I think he's a good player, solid player for them. And also uh, on the back front of that, Gordon Gordon makes sixteen million next year, not over twenty. So I, I want to, you know, since the NCAA fuck up last week, I want to make sure I dot all my eyes and cross all my T's. Yeah, no, we're gonna have to do a correction next week. Yet, not yet. Anyway, we've got a long way to go. Um, another one that we spoke about last week was the Celtics would have to make some sort of move. They did. They got uh, Evan Fournier from the Magic. Once again, the Magic just they basically got a garage sale happening down there. You can get whatever you want. Uh, they got rid of um, the Boston. Got rid of Jeff Teague, who will be waived, and two two future second round picks. So they didn't really give up a lot. And I like it for the Celtics. They needed to to get some more scoring. I anticipate that he will come off the bench, um, but he'll provide a punch. I was talking about someone like Norman Powell or, Ter- or, 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 or Terrence Ross, but I think this is the next best thing. I think he's – I've played against him numerous times internationally. He's got some fire to him. I like the way he plays. I think coming off the bench, that's a huge upgrade for their bench. I, I agree. I think this does – it's a twofold move, Bogues. First of all, they probably thought they had a chance to get Drummond, so they want to keep that door open. But getting Fournier – to be, you know, to be that se- uh, second unit guy that can make shots. He's smart. He could play off of other people. He doesn't really need the ball in his hands, but he's a smart player, can shoot. Um, but what this does, I think, on a development standpoint, it, with Teague gone now, it steps into Peyton Pritchard having sort of a more of a role. It sort of helps him as a rookie get more meaningful minutes, those Jeff Teague minutes. Even though he was averaging about 19 or 20 minutes a game, it just sort of ups his role and ups the ante for him a little bit. I'm not a huge Peyton Pritchard fan, but it's going to help him, and it's going to really help Robert Williams, who I think is probably their best young player that they have, besides obviously the, uh, Brown and Tatum. But, you know, he's been he's been coming on the last couple of weeks. And I think that, you know, now with Tristan Thompson going to be in the starting lineup, you know, Robert Williams getting those minutes uh, that Thice, you know, um, you know, getting rid of Thice. And we'll talk about that in the next deal, but um, or, or in a, deal, a future deal. But, you know, giving those young guys minutes, I think, you know, it really helps. And then Fournier really helps their bench. It helps their shot making. I think it's a good deal for them. It's not really a game changer, but it's a it puts them in the right direction. They could probably re-sign Fournier for a good num- a, a solid cap number going forward. 
Yeah, but it just helps their bench. They need, they needed something off the bench because their bench isn't giving them a whole lot. So I like it. I think it's uh, let, let's just put this out there. Anyone that's traded with the Orlando Magic this deadline has won. <laughs> um, so obviously the Celtics win there as well because, it, like I said, the Magic are just getting rid of whatever they can. Next one, um, the Mavs. They made a move for JJ Redick and Nikola Melli. I like this for the Mavs. Um, they get, they got rid of James Johnson, who was kind of a good veteran for him, but didn't play a lot. Wes Awundu, 2021 second round pick and cash considerations. Not going to move the needle a whole lot, but whenever you can get two flat out shooters, I mean, I think Melli is a bit more inconsistent, but JJ is a, you're not leaving him wherever he is in the court. You get that around Luca, I think it helps. So he hasn't had a great year in New Orleans. He's been injured. He's older now. He's hitting that hill of the 30s, uh, which doesn't help. But I like it from the point of get as much shooting as you can around Luca, and it just frees him up one-on-one. Yeah, it reminds me like Donnie Nelson made those moves in the championship year and, and leading up to the championship year where they, they they just made some trades where they just gave away practically almost nothing as far as value and they got some good players in return. And I think, look, JJ's 36 years old. You know, he's struggling a little bit this year, but – you know, they gave up almost nothing. Awandu really hasn't, you know, didn't really do anything at all. Johnson was okay, like you said, but it gives them, hey, look, they gave up almost nothing to get uh, a proven veteran that could come off the bench, give him shooting. Look, Luca doesn't need more people that need the ball in their hands constantly. Like, he needs to play with, you know, he's better just playing with four, you know, three or four shooters, spread the floor, and just let him operate. So, Having a guy that's good, you know, he's a veteran, you know, he's good for your locker room. He works hard. He's he's dialed in. He'll be perfect for Carlisle, you know, the way he coaches. I, I think it's it's a good deal. Doesn't, like you said, it doesn't really, it's not like the Peja Stojakovic move. You know, he's not at that level, you know, in this this stage of his career, although they got Peja in 2011 at, at an older stage as well. But I think it's a good, it's an okay move and they gave up almost nothing. So, yeah, I think it's a good move for Dallas. But even so, like, you know, you're in a seven-game series and JJ doesn't play for four straight. You put him in a fifth game and a la Steve Kerr against the Spurs back in the day. Uh, sorry, against the Mavs back in the day when they were zoning. You put a guy like that in, he could blow a series wide open in one game. So, And, he, and he's also one of those guys that he's not having a great year, but he's a guy that he's 0 for 20 for, for his last 23-point shots. You're still not leaving in the 21st. So I think he'll, he'll just... You know, by design, he'll create floor space for him. So I like it as well. Clippers made an interesting move. They they moved Lou Williams, who's kind of a you know six man of the year candidate every year, a really integral part of what the Clippers kind of are and were the last probably you know number of years. Real good bench guy. So Lou Williams goes to Atlanta for Rajon Rondo. The Clippers get Rajon Rondo. Hawks also get a 2023 and 2027 second round pick. This was an interesting one. No one really had this on their radar. It popped up real late. It wasn't really spoken about by the media. The other interesting tidbit, Lou Williams has mentioned numerous times previously, he would retire if not in LA. Now, the the one kicker to that is he's, he's originally from Atlanta, Georgia area or down that way and he does also an a night establishment that he really likes there. So I wonder if that will change his mind, that the one city that might change his mind to, to not retire would be Atlanta. But um, how do you see that one? Well, I think he's trying to help small businesses in the Atlanta, you know, and obviously that that nightclub establishment that he likes the chicken from, he, he could, you know, he could put <laughs> some, he could just stimulate the economy even more. I just, I thought, I just thought it was interesting that he was going to retire, but now he's not going to retire and he's got a lot left, you know, in the tank. You know, it's fun. It just, it's just interesting. But um, 
It's funny. I was on the phone with Rondo when um, when he got the call from the GM. He didn't think anything was going to happen. You know, we were talking and and then and then it popped in and like it happened in like a two hour span. It's an interesting move. I thought maybe they would try to move Reggie Jackson, but the money they they need to make make the money work. Rajon makes seven and a half this year, seven and a half next year, so they needed more salary to make the deal work. And Will Williams, you know, made that deal fit. Um, it's interesting because their their second unit really can't score very well. Lou Williams was the only like bona fide scorer they had. I'm a huge Rondo fan. I think he could help a team. I think he's a championship level player, especially coming off the bench in short minutes. You know that eight, you know, fifteen to twenty minute mark. But now he's got to have to figure out how you're going to turn Reggie Jackson from a nine point a game score to a 15 point. He's got to make up the points somehow with Lou Williams and Luke Kennard, you know, Nicholas Batum, guys like that. He's got to up their level. You know, last year it was getting the ball out of LeBron's hands when he came in off the bench and just sort of give the Lakers a different look with the Clippers. Yeah, he can get, you know, he could sort of, he could sort of play make, but He's going to have to play some minutes because Beverly's out and Jackson's going to have to start. So he's, he's going to be the main backup, but he's got to figure out how to get more production out of their bench scoring wise. Because as you know, come playoffs, you need that guy. You need that guy that can give you 18 or 20, you know, when, when your stars or Paul George is struggling or Kawhi struggling. They don't really have that. They have a shot maker in Kanad, you know, Batum's up and down. I like Zubac, but he's not really a scorer. They don't really have that punch coming off the bench, and Lou Williams was their guy. But I, I, I like Rondo because of his experience and leadership, and I think that um, – but they have to try to replace some of that scoring, I think. What, what do you think, Bogues, about having a, a sort of a go-to guy, that Clarkson-type guy, Vinny Johnson-type guy coming off the bench? You think that's really important playoff time? Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I, mean, I think that's why Utah is rolling in the regular season too. Clarkson's doing a fantastic job. Things get stagnant. You just – all the good teams I've been on, like we had it with most Bates um, in Golden State, you'd roll him out there and for 18, 20 minutes, like some nights he'd, he'd go, you know, two for 10 and then you'd play him more closer towards 12, 13 and then some nights he'd come in and wouldn't miss and we'd play him, you know, mid-20s and, and he won us – like most Bates won us a lot of games that year. We won 73 games just because he'd come on and just, just, just get buckets quickly, like not really running anything. You'd just – go to some ISOs and, and let the guy play and I think that's very, very important in this case. And would you would you consider starting Rondo right now and to maybe bring in Reggie off the bench? Because I think Rondo would fit in much better with those guys in the starting group because he would get him the ball. He can push the tempo. And then you bring a Reggie Jackson in who can he's more of a scoring guard than a than a facilitator, but just something to think about. I mean I would start him over Patrick Beverly today, tomorrow and a week from now. No offense to Beverly. I just think as far as a point guard, you're not going to find a better guy to sort of know where and when to give it to their, his teammates and, and put them in, in better positions to score and easier points. I would definitely start Rondo if, if you know if that's if that's in the cards. I know I don't know how much longer Beverly's out, but I would definitely I would want Reggie for his scoring off the bench rather than you know and then Rondo's going to you know. Rondo's going to do his thing starting and, and just set the table. And then now you have Reggie coming in off the bench to be that scorer because um, I don't think he's good in the starting lineup. I don't think he's he's not really a point guard. He's more of a scorer. And he, I think you need a guy who's going to facilitate everyone, you know, give it to Paul and Kawhi where, where and when they need it, you know, get Marcus Moore some easy looks, get Ibaka, Ibaka some easy looks. So I think, I think Rondo is a better in that starting spot, but – you know, it depends on what they're going to do. It, it'll be interesting, though, with Beverly's inju- injury in, uh, situation and, 
you know, and then what they're going to do with their bench. Terrence Mann has played well. He's a young kid from Boston. Uh, you know, I believe played at Florida State. And, uh, you know, he's been he's been pretty good for them the last couple of weeks. But they don't really have that score and punch. I just worry about that, Bogues, with them. I mean, they're starting lineups really good, obviously. But that, you know, that second unit scoring is going to be an issue. Yeah, it is. It is. And they've looked, they've, you mentioned Zubats. They've been playing a little bit better since they moved into the starting lineup. Um, he's not a scoring guy, but he's a big body. He rolls, he offensive rebounds, and he's a great shot blocker. And I noticed that they moved him into that lineup away from the small ball lineup. And they've, they've been playing a little bit better. I think it just gives them a little bit more of continuity. And it's a guy that, okay, he's not a three point shooter like a Bucker or even when they were playing um, Batum. But um, I think it just brings a different dynamic now. You've got a bit more rim attack than just guy spacing. So we'll continue to watch that. Um, there's two other big trades that I want to talk about. And then we'll go through the other ones quickly. The Magic again gave up Nikola Vucevic and Al Aminu. The Magic received Wendell Carter Jr., Otto Porter Jr., two few future first round picks. I assume Otto Porter potentially could be waived, but this was you know, just a, another deal. I don't know if it moves the needle that much for Chicago. I saw you tweeted um, one of the fans about it. Does it really move much for them? It maybe gets them into that that six, seven, eight, nine, ten seed, but once again, let's just say the Bulls win that one, but how do you, how do you see that going for Chicago? Well, for Chicago, I think it, it puts them a little bit closer to sort of respectability. You know, Zach Levine's a, a talent scorer, but he's not really going to win games by him just scoring 30 a game. You know, they have some nice players in Kobe, you know, Kobe White, you know, Patrick Williams and marketing's decent. I think Vooch is the first thing I thought about when Vooch got traded from Orlando is that part in Shawshank Redemption where he comes out of that fucking pipe and just fucking looking up and just like screaming freedom. You know, in that in the fucking rain in the middle of the night, and uh, I, I thought that you know getting a, getting a fresh start in Chicago would be good for him. You know, Wendell Carter's been an injury problem. You know, since he's been in the league, he's a nice little player, but like he just really hasn't shown much. They didn't give up anything to get the kid. You know, uh, to get Vuj and Al Farouk Aminu. I, I I like Vuj. I'm I'm a big post up fan. I, I think he brings it every night. Twenty five, twenty four and a half, and eleven point eight. I mean, the guy can definitely help your team. He could help them get better. I do worry about them athletically, especially not that anyone cares, but defensively with him and marketing in the lineup. I think, you know, you're not the most athletic team, but um, I think you're skilled. You can shoot. You could, you know, you could score on the block. It definitely helps their talent level. And then Aminu, if he can stay healthy, is a solid defender off the bench. I do like what they did. And and, and we'll talk about the Daniel Dice deal later when they have him in the backup, but I think it helps. Um, what do you think, Bogues? You think, especially the way the league is today, you think you know it's it's wise to bring in Vooch, or do you think you should stay away from guys like him? Well, he's shooting the three ball pretty well now. I mean, he, he's he's had some games where he's really shot it well from three. I think he's forty percent. Yeah, I think um, maybe we see more of that. I don't know, but. I like it for Chicago. I mean, you didn't really give up a whole lot and you're giving yourself a, a fighter's chance of getting into the playoffs in some way respectable in the playoffs and then building. But I think Vucevic is kind of flies under the radar a little bit. He was an all-star and whatnot, but I don't think he gets as much respect as he deserves. He's a fantastic player and does a lot of different things. He can pass the ball as well. Um, especially now where he's being doubled. So I like it. I like it for the Bulls and. Al Farouk Aminu, too, thrown in that deal can can help him a little bit with some length and size. So I don't mind it. I think it's 
yeah, it, it's an okay one. But um, the other one I had was the Blazers. They um, they got my guy, Norman Powell. I spoke about him a couple of weeks ago. I, I thought he would shore up Boston's bench if they made a move for him. But he's gone to the Blazers. Um, the Raptors got Gary Trent Jr., who was actually having a decent year, and Rodney Hood. But I like this for the Blazers. I think it gives you a guy that now you can start with the injuries with Dame and when they rest Dame and CJ. Those guys get banged up pretty quickly. You can throw him to the starting lineup and not lose much. His first game, I think he had something in the 20s. And then you can move him to the bench and he gives you a massive punch off that bench. So I think this was a great move for Portland. I didn't see Portland getting involved in someone like like a like a scoring bench guy, but um, great move for them. Yeah, I think Norman Powell, this is probably the best trade of the whole day in my opinion, just because to get a guy like Norman Powell who's simple, who's straight line driver, can catch and shoot, even though he put up 20 a game, he wasn't somebody who just like, you know, was just one of those guys who jacked up every shot that he had, even though he had like 45 last week. But, uh, you know, he plays hard. They need that coming off the bench. I think with him, that that three-man punch of like him, Carmelo, and Cantor coming off the bench, now that Nurkic is probably going to start at five, really helps Portland. And it's going to help them because with Lillard and CJ, you know, sort of dominating the ball and dominating the scoring punch, for that team. Now they come, you know, they come in with the second unit of a couple of other guys now that can continue the scoring punch of with the Carm- like Carmelo will be the ISO guy coming in that second unit. But then, you know, you got Powell and Canner around him as well. They could put up points. They could play hard. I-, I really like it. I really like it for Portland. Gary Trent's a solid player, but he's not as, you know, he's sort of a d- different dynamic than normal pa- Norman Powell, but Norman Powell sneakily. I don't even know if that's a fucking word. I'll look it up later. But, you know, he's one of the best shooters in the league. He shoots 50 from the field, 44.6 from the three, and 85 from the line. Like, he's an efficient player that plays hard. He's one of my favorites to watch. And I I just think that having – I'm a big believer. If you're going to go deep in the playoffs, you need that guy coming in at like the three-minute mark of the first quarter or the the 10-minute mark of the second quarter that they could give you like four or five solid minutes in a row that could score in his rotation. I think he he could still average 18 to, you know, 16 to 20 for them. And I think that he could be a really big piece come playoff time. Yep. Good job, Portland. Um, the next few trades, I'm going to put your your, th- your th- Daniel Thice, Boston one in this group. These are all, I'm going to read through all these and then Maybe give me one or two that you liked out of them. These are kind of trades to me that haven't really moved the needle much. We'll start with the Nuggets. They get JaVale McGee from the Cavaliers for Isaac Hartenstein and two future round pit, first round picks. Then we go to the, the Bulls. The Bulls get um, Daniel Thice, Javante Green, Tony, Jun- Tony Brown Jr. Celtics get Luke Cornett, Mo Wagner. Wizards get Daniel Gafford, Chandler Hutchison. So that was a three-team trade. Um, Pro has mentioned that with Thice, but we'll go through that. And then uh, Warriors have traded uh, Wanamaker to the Hornets. Not a whole lot there, in my opinion. Yeah, the Hornets get Wanamaker. Cash considerations, second-round pick via Philadelphia. So, I mean, Warriors don't really get much back there. 2025 second-round pick from the Hornets. So, another really not a whole lot going on trade. The, Rap- the Toronto Raptors have traded Terrence Davis to the Sacramento Kings for a 2021 second-round pick. Uh, moving on, the Utah Jazz, they got Matt Thomas from the Toronto Raptors for a future second-round pick. That's a flat-out shooter, but not sure if he'll play a whole lot. The Spurs and Warriors, Marquise Chris from the Warriors and cash considerations for the draft rights to Katie Lelane. So who knows if he'll end, 
even end up in the NBA. Sacramento Kings got DeLon Wright from the Detroit Pistons for Corey Joseph, 2021 and 2024 second round pick. Philadelphia 76ers three-team trade with the Knicks and with the Thunder. George Hill and Ignas Brazdakis from the 76ers get. The Knicks get Terrence Ferguson. Vincent Poirier writes to Amir Pedilgic, 2021 second round pick. And the Thunder get Austin Rivers, Tony Bradley, 2025 second round pick, 2026 second round pick. And that was kind of it as far as trade deadline. There was a whole lot of deals there that just spread out real quickly that didn't really, they're not going to really move much. But do you want to really touch on the, the, the Boston-Chicago deal? Yeah, with the Boston deal, from what everyone's been saying, it was a salary cap move to stay out of the tax. Look, you know, signing Brown and Tatum was really expensive for them. Uh, They brought in Fournier's, you know, contract in the deal that they made for Evan, but um, they needed to shed money, you know, because they didn't want to get in the tax. And as a GM, when you have an owner that says, hey, we're not going in the tax, you know, we don't want to go in the tax for this, you know, you got to find a way to, to sort of navigate around it. Tice has been a really good player for them, really solid five. Um, he's a guy who's gotten better, tough kid, just a typical good Boston player, right? And um, But they had to make a move that's tax-related. I mean, you know, it's an interesting move for me because I think they should have kept him. Maybe they thought they were going to get Drummond, but I think it's more of a money deal for them. Look, no one really wants to get into the tax these days, you know, especially if you can, if you can get around it. So it – it doesn't really move the needle. Again, it's just one of those moves. Uh, they moved Javante Green, a young player that really hasn't done much. You know, that trade really didn't, you know, it's sort of like rearranging the deck chairs of the Titanic. It really doesn't matter. But, you know, Mo Wagner's a nice little player that, you know, that could be like a borderline rotation player for you, probably more of a roster player. You know, Gafford and Hutchinson are just, they haven't really done much up to this point. Troy Brown Jr. has just been okay in Washington. So, um, it's just more of a, I think that was more of a financial deal for Boston to just try to get off some money. Yeah, I think all those, most of the deals that I just read out real quick, no disrespect to those players, but they're not really moving the needle for any of those teams. I think they were all strategic plans to get more draft picks or salary cap sheds. So a few little notes we have at the bottom of this now. Um, Lowry didn't get traded. Kyle Lowry's still with the Toronto Raptors. So that was a whole soap opera. Um, Kyle Lowry gave a press conference that was emotional, teary-eyed. I think Drake FaceTimed him during it, funnily enough. Um, shocker. Um, but that's got to be – I mean, it's a little bit awkward now. You know, he, he probably thought – he probably had his suitcases packed and was ready to get out of there. And um, he's now stuck in, in what I'm hearing is a pretty dysfunctional environment that, that doesn't look like they're going to do much this season. A lot of turmoil in that locker room, which we'll get to a little bit later. But how do you see all that going down with uh, Lowry? It's – you know, it's, it's a whole weird deal, man. Like – I, again, I, I don't want to go out of tune as far as like the context of that tweet, but wasn't there a tweet of him like piecing out somebody like leaving? I don't know if it was before the game or during the game, you know, thinking that he was going to get traded, making people think he was going to get traded. It was a big thing. You know, look, they're not a very good team. They got these players they paid and they're probably just trying to get off. You know, Lowry probably just had enough and, you know, they were just probably going to say, hey, look, let's just move on. It's interesting that they didn't get moved, but this is, these salaries, Bogues, you know, makes it really difficult to trade players. He's $30 million. That means you gotta, you gotta shell out the way the trades usually work. Sometimes it's, it's different, but mostly it's, you gotta get in within 25% plus a hundred thousand in your trade. So you gotta come up with like 20, I'd say about 27 million bucks for the deal to work, you know, some, somewhere in that, maybe, maybe a little less. 
uh, no, like 24 million to make that deal work. And that's a lot of money to show out. And I think they wanted more, like they, they, they were trying to get a lot for him. And Kyle Lowry at 34 is a rental. I don't think teams are going to really give, look, you see the standings. It's really fucking close. Like, you know, it's hard to shell out all this stuff. I heard that Philly might have been close to making a deal with them. And, um, you know, but again, Toronto wanted like Danny Green because they needed somebody to make the money work. But like, they wanted like Korkmaz. They wanted Tybal. They wanted, um, and I think they wanted Tyrese Maxey and maybe additional stuff. And, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think Philly was re- ready to just like, flip their roster up and down to try to get them. It is interesting because it's all you heard for the last two months of how this guy's going to get traded and moved. And it's interesting that it didn't happen, but they're a fucked up situation right now. Like that whole fight in the locker room with, uh, with Siakam and Nick Nurse, like, what did he want? Like one of those Nick Nurse hats that Nick Nurse wears in those those interviews, the NN hat, what does he want at half price? And, you know, he wanted to fucking charge him full price. Like it's, it's a, it's an interesting deal, man. You know, the, the stuff that's going on over there. They're just a year away from winning a championship. Yeah, exactly. And we'll, yeah, we'll get to that. We'll, we'll break that down shortly. But that, yeah, that, that's a crazy thing that I'd say is, is that that's how quickly she can turn in this league. But we'll, we'll just get a few more footnotes. Um, Aldridge reportedly is going to sign with the Brooklyn Nets. Um, I found this one an interesting one. I, I don't see, I don't see Aldridge as a, role-playing type. I think he's a guy that needs the ball. He needs post touches to be effective. He started to shoot the three ball at least to the corner three, maybe the 45 at times now. Not at a massive clip, but but does it a little bit, which will help. But when you've got Harden, Durant, Kyrie, you're not getting a post touch. Um, and I, I, I just don't see him as that hustle, defensive, role-playing guy that those three guys need. Um, that's where I think Blake Griffin, from the games I've seen so far, credit to Blake Griffin, he's bought into to being that Fourth, fifth, sixth option, but I'm going to hustle. I'm going to get deflections. He, I saw him dive on a loose ball the other night. So I think he's bought into his role that he knows 15, 20 minutes is all you're getting. We need you to play balls to the wall, get some deflections for us, offensive rebounds, lob dunks. Can LaMarcus Aldridge be that guy, bro? Well, first of all, not for anything, Bogues, but Blake Griffin's bought in for two games. I, I buy in a buy, by you know doing the green smoothie fucking broccoli <laughs> once in a while, but after three days, I'm off of that shit. But no, I I agree. I think Griffin's a a good role guy to have there coming off the bench. Here's my thing. You need a a defensive guy that's going to run. It's going to block shots. It's going to rebound for you. They got that in Nicholas Claxton. He's been playing great. And he's got this young kid who's developing, who's made some jumps in his development. You got Jeff Green that you could throw in there. You got DeAndre Jordan. I just don't know. Like LaMarcus has sort of battled his role in San Antonio since he's gotten there. So... How how is this going to work where you're going to make him happy? Because it ain't like you just acquired some role player. You acquired a guy who's, you know, been a... Former All-Star, yeah. Yeah, an All-Star player in this league. So, it just... It's one of those things where, like, coming with the trade deadline and with the buyout deadline, you sometimes... You do things like this where you acquire players that doesn't really fit, but he's a big name. You'll win a little bit in the media. He's a name that people, you know... Your, your fan base sort of likes and they think about these guys like five years ago they don't think about the Lamarcus Aldridge today no offense but he's older you know the game's changed a little bit and where they've been playing and how they've been great and they've already got these guys that dominate the ball like it'll be an interesting deal I just worry again my player development hat I worry about the Claxton development because he's done so well playing about 20 minutes a night 
and you Aldridge ain't coming there just to sit on the bench to get a ring. He's probably going to want to play a little bit, so it's going to eat into his minutes and probably most of those. So, I, I I mean, they'll make it work. You know how it is. I just don't think it's going to be a great fit. But then again, everything I fucking I, I think is going to happen in this podcast never happens, and I'm probably one of the worst predictors ever. So he's probably going to average thirty and thirty. But I just don't see where this is going to be great. And again, the Claxton thing, because he's gone, come so far in so little time that I think he's a perfect guy for that spot. Yeah, but you've got four guys wrestling for those minutes now because Nash likes to go small. I mean, there's been games where he's played Jeff Green at the five for stretches, stretches of the game. Yeah. So you have, you know, you've got Kyrie, you've got Harden, you've got um, Durant coming back, will play the 3-4. So now you've got Aldridge, you've got DeAndre Jordan, Claxton, Blake Griffin, those four guys are essentially wrestling for 20, 25, 30 minutes between them. Yeah, and Griffin's more well, of a five anyway. That's what I'm saying. Especially with Nat, the way Nash is, the way I've seen him coach is he, he likes to go smaller. Once Durant's back, I think you'll see those four guys, once Durant's, if they've got everyone healthy, someone's getting screwed out of those four guys, period. Probably Claxton being the young fella. But then the third on that list out of those guys, so it's out of Aldridge, Jordan, and Griffin, someone else is probably going to get screwed and only get five to seven minutes. So I'm interested to see how that all goes as we've spoken about and as I've spoken about a guy like Aldridge, even Griffin to an extent, big big household names from the teams they came from, max contract guys, all-stars, where it's like, nah, you've got Kyrie, Harden, Durant are our guys. You guys are the minions that just need to set screens and do the right thing. So I'm interested to see how that goes. I hope it works out for them. Like I think they'll be there at the end of the season somewhere in the championship mix, but I think there could be a potential for a bit of NBA drama in that locker room eventually. Of course. And it's again, it's not like you picked them up in the, on draft day where you have like training camp and, and exhibition season. You could ramp them up and just sort of have them buy in this role. You got it. You got him like second half of the season, although he's been shut down a little bit by San Antonio, you know, where they were trying to find a trade. It's just, uh, yeah, it's interesting how it's going to work out. Hey, just get your fucking popcorn, brother. Just sit back, put your feet up and enjoy the show. Because it's gonna it's, exactly it's gonna be interesting. As long as he's, I mean, he's just. I think his ceiling is gonna be on whether he can hit that corner three or that that wing three when he's spaced watching, you know, Harden Duran or or, or um, Kyrie go out at one on one. That's gonna be his role. So I don't think there'll be too much of a kind of honeymoon period where he needs to figure out the sets because I think. They go ISO a lot. They move the ball a little bit, but interesting to watch nonetheless. Andre Drummond, Lakers, rumored today that he's going to sign with the Lakers. I think it's a good move. Marcus Gasol is looking like I was when I was with the Lakers. <laughs> not good. <laughs> not, not good at all. <laughs> that good, huh? Yeah, not good at all. Uh, very reminiscent of the Bogut era in LA. But yeah, I think it helps him a little bit. I think Gasol's time is numbered. He's getting old, not moving as well. I think the game's just gone past him and it's unfortunate to see a legend like that go down like that, but it's not looking good. So, I like it. I think he'll give them some, you know, physicality in that paint. You know, as a guy that's, I think, I don't know what, what he was at when he got traded, but he's he's top three in, in the league in rebounds, I'd assume, and he's he's led the league in rebounding numerous years and, and he'll get you just, you know, six, seven, eight offensive rebounds alone some nights. So I think that'll help. The interesting thing I find is I know LeBron doesn't love playing with non-shooting five-man at times um, unless you're Tristan Thompson. So that'll be interesting to see how that all pans out, but I think it definitely it definitely helps them. And they're, they're, look, they're, they're in some trouble to an extent. They're, they're, they're falling down those standings, a lot of injuries. Um, LeBron was supposed to be out two weeks. I think we're at week two now. Anthony Davis is supposed to be in back, so maybe those injuries are worse than um, they've let on publicly, but if they're not back soon, they could be at a lower seed. And then on the flip side, if you're the Utah Jazz at one and you end up getting the Lakers at eight, <laughs> ouch. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, 
you know, right now, the, the biggest problem for them is, you know, obviously getting those two guys back because their bench, you know, and this is a big time for evaluating how good you are as a player, if you're a player, or your team as a management or coach, or how good these players are. Now we have to fill in these roles for when your better players aren't playing. And they just don't have it. Like, you know, Matthews is trying, but he just can't, you know, he, he's limited. Caruso's really never that guy unless the deck stacked in the lineup when he's playing. Kuzma's just up and down all the time. His shooting's inconsistent and the way he plays is a little sporadic. You know, Taylor Horton's good, but he's, you know, he's a good role player. He's your fourth or fifth best player. Montrez puts numbers up, but like they need someone else that's going to sort of carry some mail for them because right now, like Schroeder's okay. You know, KCP does it, but those guys can play off of better players. And this is where, like, the lack of talent on that roster on that coming off the bench is important because they don't really have anyone that's really going to do that. You know, they just have these spot-up players or these okay players. You know, and then, you know, Kuzma you expect so much out of, but he's just inconsistent. So... It's interesting. Drummond will help, you know, give him rebounding. You know, I don't give a fuck about shooting, non-shooting, what have you. Uh, but he could rebound. He, he's, he could play tough. When he doesn't have to carry your team, he's good. He's like most of these other players that, like, they try to play in these number one roles. But when, when he's the fourth or fifth best player on, on, on the floor, they could really help you. He can grab you 14 rebounds a night, tip-ins, lobs. Not a great lob guy, but decent. And, um... I think it helps them for sure. Gasol's showing his age, like you said, but they need something, man. Because I mean, they just can't win game. They can't. They can't even. I mean, they're beating Cleveland. I mean, Cleveland's terrible. But like, you know, they can't. They can't beat anybody really. They can't beat any decent team. I mean, who can when your your best two players aren't playing? But that's a big concern with their advanced. You know, with you know, Davis has had that Achilles you know issue, and then James is thirty six. He might have to take another vacation down to Miami for a few weeks, but. Um, to, to rev himself back up, but it's tough, man. That and, and again, if I'm them, I'm, I'm really not rushing those guys back because you need those guys at 100%. I would say right now they'll probably be in the six or seven spot uh, come playoff time, maybe good enough. You know, then again, you don't know how long these guys are going to take to come back. I think they can get out of that seven to ten. They could probably be at six. Uh, maybe five, because you don't know what kind of a run they're going to make in the last two weeks of the season for seeding, you know, or, or last three weeks when those guys are fully healthy. But yeah, it's going to be tough. I mean, yeah, it's the seeding is going to be interesting. They're at four right now. Um, they're one and a half games ahead of Denver, who's in fifth. And they're, if you look down at uh, the tenth spot, they are seven games ahead of that tenth spot. So I think they'll be they'll be somewhere between three and seven in my opinion yeah but yeah those injuries are concerned and then you, you even when they come back from those injuries especially lebron you don't want to rush him back to 40 minutes you know so they're gonna have to play that smart but the merry christmas move of the deadline well it's not really a trade but this just got broken um al horford plans to remain with okc and his teammates and train at the team's facility after the season after this season, Gordon will have two years, $53 million left on his deal, and Sam Presti has pledged to work with Horford and his agent um, on finding a destination that fits. So they basically shut him down. They've said, we don't want you to play. Uh, we have young guys uh, that we want to play. We are rebuilding. Get this pro. They have 34 projected picks over the next seven years. Uh, that is insane. Or I'll say that again. 34 projected draft picks over the next seven years. 
Sam Presti, the GM, is the best, probably the best GM in the league as far as like getting your, getting any organization sort of back to respectability and competing for a championship. Um, you know, obviously they made a run, you know, they made a run 10, 12 years ago when they had all those guys, but that's the big thing. Acquire, you know, when you're not going anywhere, instead of staying in that purgatory, might as well just trade everybody away. Get your draft picks. Continue to get picks. Now that you got a hit on their picks, which they've done. Uh, first of all, Merry fucking Christmas to Al Horford. I mean, fifty-six fucking million dollars after this year. My God, I mean that's fucking that's unbelievable. He's got two years left after this one, which makes makes me believe they're going to either stretch him because I don't think anyone's going to take him on. They're not moving that. Nah, hell no, they're not moving that. So you're going to stretch him or buy him out or outright stretch him, what have you. Um, I don't think he's going to sit out a whole year until he's an expiring deal and then you deal him. So I think they're going to find some type of an exit strategy, um, either stretch him out or, or, or what have you. But they're in, they're in good shape, um, with their picks. Their team's okay. They got, you know, they got one really good player in Shy Gildress, uh, Alexander and, you know, they got some nice role players. I think that are, are decent players. They're really, they're putting a lot of um, they're putting a lot of eggs in their basket with this egg. Alex, I don't even know how to uh, pronounce his name. Alexi Pokevsky, the 19 year old kid, the first round pick. He's struggling right now. He's not very good at this point, but he's young. You know, they, they're expecting him to be a, a pretty good player down the road. But um, they got all these picks now because they traded all those players away like Westbrook. Like instead of holding on to Westbrook way past his value or Paul George, they just said, you know what? I'm going to leverage it. I'm going to make sure these guys who really want them, it's going to cost you a lot to get them. The Chris Pauls, the Westbrooks, the, you know, they dealt. I mean, he just keep and he, and it just prove, goes to prove that almost every contract in this league is tradable. Everyone says, oh, you're not going to trade Westbrook. His contract's bad. And boom, he gets traded twice. You know, you're not going to trade Chris Paul's tra- contract's too bad. And then boom, they trade him. And he, now he's got 34 picks in the first and second round over seven drafts. I mean, it, it, it's interesting. I mean, they got to build a roster. They're just okay right now. You know, and I think with Al, like, why try to win a few more games with Al Horford when you can get better picks if you lose games? You know, as right now they're 13th in the West. You know, I think they're they're about 14 games out, and they're probably going to try to challenge the best they can f- to Minnesota for the worst record in the league to try to get a top three, a top four pick, and then just keep building. And then uh, d- don't forget, like Houston being as bad as they are, um, their situation. You know, they get their, they have their picks and pick swaps for the next few years, like four, five, six years with all these trades he did with Houston. So like they can get not only their pick, but Houston's picks and the Clippers picks. And they've got a bunch of picks that they've did on all these trades and pick swaps. Has to be an NBA record. This has to be an NBA record. That's the thing these days, what? folks. It, it used to be cap room. Now it's acquire picks and pick swaps. They're not going to use them all. In the next seven, yeah. I know they're going to use some of them as leverage to trade or maybe sign some free agents and clear some cap space, attach it to an Al Horford contract. I get it. But geez, man, 34 projected picks over seven years. That's just insane. That's What is that? Four and a half picks a, <laughs> picks a, um, a draft. It'll take you about 32 of those fucking picks to get get all Al Horford's deal off your books <laughs> in the next couple of months. <laughs> Fair point, fair point. But that kind of wraps up all the movement. Um, so I hope everyone out there had a bit of a kick and um, got some good information. There was a lot that went down. And like we said, a lot of them are just salary shedding. But um, we'll move on to a few in-depth topics. One was Steve Kerr. So Steve Kerr went on an appearance 
on the Ringers, the Real Ones podcast with Rajar Bell and Logan, Logan Murdoch. And he made a comment that said he enjoyed coaching the Warriors 15 and 50 team in 2019-20, last season, of course, more than he did coaching Golden State's 2018-19 finals team. And that was a team that I was a part of later on in the season. Schiller took Kerr's quote and added the fact that Durant was on that finals team, a shorthand way, whether intentional or not, of insinuating that Kerr was trying to say that KD, now with the Nets, was a problem. Not long after, after that, Schiller apologized, um, said he was called out by Steve Kerr and he, he deserved it and blah, blah, blah. I'm looking at this. Look, that that team in 18-19, there, there was it – was, it was toxic – uh, a little bit, and it wasn't. It wasn't on one person. Um, it wasn't on KD. It wasn't. It was just kind of. It wasn't the same feel the Warriors had when I was there the first time. And I'm not sure why. I didn't. I didn't really dig too deep into that about what happened. But when I got there, there was a lot of different things going on, and it definitely was different. And I'm going to say this. I think Kerr's comments. Although didn't mention Durant, they were pretty pointed. I, I'm not sure they were a direct shot at Durant, but they were pretty pointed that. That wasn't an enjoyable season. And so Steve Kerr followed that up by, you know, firing up at, uh, at Drew Schiller in a interview, I think, for the next game. That's what he opened with. So Drew Schiller decided to apologize. But in today's world of clickbait media, this to me is normal. I mean, I don't, I don't see anything. I don't, I'm not saying it's right, but I mean, it was pretty pointed what Steve said. So to, to run and hide from it now after you said it, like most people are going to relay the fact that you said that 18-19 finals team wasn't enjoyable to coach. You're either having a shot at either Steph, Draymond, or KD. Um, and only one of those guys, or Clay Thompson, but only one of those guys is gone. So it was kind of pointed in a way. And I don't think, you know, Steve intentionally was going after KD, but at the same time, you know, that there are, there are people that are going to think outside the lines and think that that was, that was aimed at KD. What do you think? See, I don't, I don't really know because that year it seemed like it was fucking pretty tough to deal with. You got a lot of egos. You got a lot of players. You got a lot of things going on. If you're going to have a problem with a guy, just fucking say it. If you do have a problem, I don't know. I, I take the side on the argument of Kerr's in a sense where it seemed like it was very clickbaitish. Uh, you know, especially I didn't listen to the podcast, but if you're just going to like, if, if he had other context around that, it's a little bit fucking, you know, again, it's media today, 85% of it's bullshit, you know, and people just want to get clicks and, and likes and things. But I don't know. I, I have no idea. I wasn't around it. I don't like really commenting on things like that. The only thing I could say is maybe, I mean, Durant maybe changed it because where they made it before it was organic. All those guys were drafted and built up for most, for the most part into that team. And, you know, they battled through together and they won and you bring in somebody else. Maybe it is, maybe, you know, it's just a little bit strange, but I don't, I don't, unless I know or I heard from a source on it, I don't really like to comment on that stuff. But if you got a problem with a guy, especially if you want a championship as a coach and you have a problem, you can just say it, you know, you, you, you can just say it. It's safe to say that Durant's not going to end up back with fucking Golden State. Um, if you have a problem with the guy, just say it. I don't know. I think he was always going to be, you know, a hero or a, vil a hero and a villain 
on that team because he came into a situation where the team was already, you know, top of the NBA or top two, whatever you want to call it. Um, so people were giving him shit for that and then helped them win. You know, he was phenomenal in those final series, especially when they needed big buckets. They won two championships and then he was a hero. And then all of a sudden he left after that third year and it went downhill and now he's a villain. And that's just, that's how soon fans forget. I think you make a valid point that he wasn't with the organic growth of the team. And I think that irked him a little bit. I think he, um, he was bothered by that a little bit where I think he at times I think he's been on record there's people that have wrote about it where I think he was irked that that guys like Steph and Clay and Draymond got a free pass when they had bad games or took bad shots or whatever where he didn't and I think that was that's essentially what those guys earned by being there for a long time and being on the teams that weren't that good whereas KD came into that good situation so everyone was just looking to looking to look at the smallest little things um, and, and criticizing for. So while I was there, I mean, KD didn't, he wasn't the most vocal guy. There were days where he was very, very quiet, but he didn't really cause that much of an issue when I was there. I saw a few things. There were some games where he, you know, just refused to shoot a few games and was trying to, you know, I don't think he was messing with the game, but he was like got, trying to go for triple doubles in some games towards the end of the season. And it was clear that he didn't want to shoot. So no one really knew, like, is he mad at Steve? Is he mad at Draymond? So that's where a little bit was kind of left up into, you know, people then decipher like what's going on. I and mean, like you said, as soon as you have people guessing what's going on, it's never usually right, but it can create even more of a toxic atmosphere. And I think Steve's comments somewhat left that up in the air for clickbaiters. Um, so I don't know who's right or who's wrong and, and what he meant by it. But as soon as you leave things up into an interpretation, you get clickbaiters, they're going to write shit like that and, and then it blows up. I'll tell you what, I'd have a hell of a lot more time, fucking fun time coaching those guys uh, that he had before that 16-win team. I, I call bullshit on that. That can't be any fucking fun coaching a 16-win team. Oh, he was losing his shit every other game that season. That's why it was funny. He's throwing clipboards and games that he, there was games where he was barely standing up to coach because he was so pissed off. But anyway, we'll move on from that one. We touched on it earlier. Pascal Siakam uh, went off at Nick Nurse about a week ago now, it was uh, Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse after during the Cavs game. What was it? It was their eighth straight loss. The Raptors mounted a fourth quarter comeback from down 22 after Nurse went to a defense defense heavy lineup featuring Pat McCaw, Stanley Johnson. But Siakam wasn't a part of it. They, they made a good comeback. They pulled it within six with six minutes left. And then they only scored 12 points from there and lost by 11. But Siakam was benched that whole quarter. Wasn't happy about it. According to multiple sources, let Nurse know about it loudly aggressively over the line, beyond over the line with words beyond standard cussing or cursing. It apparently got personal as well, um, which is which is something you never want to hear. Lines were crossed, teammates actually had to intervene. And according to multiple sources, it was a pretty toxic environment. So, I mean, does Siakam have a point? Does Nurse have a point? I mean, Siakam has essentially been paid as their franchise guy, um, not going back into a game for the whole fourth quarter. That's probably a shot from Nurse to Siakam, like you're not playing as hard as we want or whatever it was. I didn't see the game. Game, but we're gonna we're gonna roll with the guys that got us back into into the game and then ended up losing and I think he's kind of uh, felt disrespected by that but I think the way he's gone about it you know whenever this gets leaked to the media um, you know it's probably even worse than it was because if, if if it was this you know this bad you usually don't want it to get out but the fact that it got out means it was no way around it but yeah trouble in paradise over there in Toronto considering that they just. <laughs> Just won a championship a couple of seasons ago, and Siakam was huge against us in that final series. Like he, we kind of picked on him a little bit with our scout and dared him to make shots, and, and he kicked our ass, and he was phenomenal. So, um, just interesting to see, and, and for everyone out there listening in pro sports and the NBA, especially, it's how quickly the coin can flip 
these these guys were on a on a in a parade in downtown Toronto celebrating. Nick Nurse was the, the next best thing, and now all of a sudden you got your star player wanted to wanted to beat up the head coach. Yeah, I mean we've all seen it. We've seen head coaches get cussed out. We've seen head coaches and players get held back from each other, especially in the heat of a game. If you're not winning, it's not a it's not a happy environment. Siakam again, not knowing what happened and just going on media reports. I hate doing that, but that's what we got. He's got to know better. Where like, look, like sometimes you just don't have it. I don't give a fuck if you're the best player or worst player. Sometimes you're not going to have it. And sometimes your coach has to change some shit up once in a while. Hey, look, I'm never going to tell somebody how to feel. Obviously, if you're fucking pissed, you got to deal with it. But there's got to be a better way than like getting nose to nose at your head coach in the locker room. It sets a bad example to your young players that are on your roster. It just sets a bad tone for everybody. That's not professional. This is NBA basketball. You know, this isn't this isn't just playing in a gym or, you know, working out in the summer where it's all, you know, bullshit. This is real stuff and you gotta carry yourself. You got a max level contract. You gotta, you know, not only do you have to produce on the court, but you have to act accordingly off the court. You can go in his office, you could scream at him there, you can have a meeting with him, go in his hotel well, you can't go in a hotel room. Well, maybe he's vaccinated, who knows? But you gotta you gotta have that meeting somewhere where you talk and, and have it out for sure if you if that's the way you want to do it. But you can't be that sensitive where like you're going to go after your fucking coach. Now, who knows? Maybe the coach said something that's a little off base and then it just triggered it. Who knows? And I'm not going to, I'm not saying that happened. I'm not, I'm not going to discount it. But you, as a player, you got to act better. You got to be a fucking pro. You guys battle for all this fucking money you get and they get it and they got to act accordingly. If it wasn't provoked, just, you know, sitting sitting a majority of a game because your team doesn't have it, including you in the lineup. And then, you know, and then they go with the second unit or whoever they go with. And that works. You got to respect and roll with the coach. The guy won a championship. He's one of the best coaches in the league. If you like him or you don't like him, it doesn't matter. You got to roll with it. And then, and then talk to him about it. But getting nose to nose, like I said, maybe you wanted one of those Nick Nurse hats that Nick wears during those press conferences. Do you ever notice that, the NN hat that he wears in his press conferences? No. Yeah, it's I Nick haven't. Nurse. It's fucking great. I love it. Oh, it's his own logo, is it? NN, that's his logo. <laughs> How great is that? But uh, hey, you win a championship. That's what candy. you do. Yeah, it's fucking outstanding. Make some candy called NNN's candy. <laughs> oh, fuck. But... um. Yeah, that's that's unfortunate, but you got to be professional, man. I know it's losing yeah, and it shit, is. and people lose it, but we've all seen it. We've all seen players lose their shit, coaches lose their shit. I've seen assistant coaches try to fight players. I've seen it all, and uh, you just got to deal with it. I think it comes down to that he's having not having a great year neither. Um, shooting percentage is really bad. He's I think he's missed four or five game wing attempts that have unfortunately literally gone down and come out in and out type shots. So I think some of his frustrations were from performance. Um, individually, and now you know reared its ugly head when he got benched, and when he's supposed to be the number one guy on his team. So hopefully that all works out. But you never like to, like I said, uh, I was part of one when Draymond blew up at Steve in OKC, and and it only got out because the actual sideline reporter was waiting outside the locker room to interview. I think Steve on the way to the the locker room, and her actual mic picked up the the um the brouhaha. <laughs> the people in the truck. Oh, were- really? Yeah, the people in the truck would basically hear Draymond quite clearly. So that's why it got 
it got leaked. But we we've had we've had blow ups not only in Golden State, numerous teams where things haven't got leaked um, at all. So and it usually tells you how good a team is, how close a team is. Where the teams that I've been a part of, when shit hits the fans, something bad happens and it doesn't get out. That's a good group of guys generally. And I'm not saying it's you know whoever leaked it, whatever it could have been a ball boy, but generally the really good tight teams don't leak shit. And then that was a difference I saw the Warriors too, like that first group we had. Nothing ever really left our practice facility or our locker room. On that second run that I went to, a lot of shit got out and media were finding shit out through who knows who it was through, through agents, whatever. And they're just small little nuances, but they make a big difference. So we'll then go on to Draymond. So Draymond's comments this week, those that weren't familiar, um, he basically anointed himself the best defender ever. His comments as follows, you know, you know, I can go all around the all around the league and find good defenders. I just don't think any of them are as good as me. I think I'm the best defender to ever play this game. 100%, that's my opinion. Now, I've played with Draymond. I think he's up there as one of the best defenders. I would have to look at who else he's competing with. As far as, an, in, this is where I, I will put a, a note in it. Individual one-on-one defender. I saw Tony Allen fired up and, and went back at him. I think Tony Allen would have him covered in a one-on-one battle. Like, hey, go and stop Kevin Durant, I think. But I think Draymond, with what he does as far as basketball IQ, off the ball, rotating the things, he's one of the best that, is, that I've been around that does that. Uh, he just does a phenomenal job of reading the play, you know, two steps before chess, chess, chess game-like defense. Whereas I think people that have fired up at, at his comments it doesn't necessarily mean that he's the best one-on-one defender lockup. I'm going to shut a guy down because I don't think he's the best as 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 a strictly one-on-one player. But once you factor in everything else, he can switch one through five, and he just causes a lot of havoc out there with the way he plays. I think he's up there, but I'd have to have a look at the list of who we're competing with. But if you compare him to Tony Allen, I think Tony Allen's a better one-on-one defender. But overall, within a team concept, I think Draymond's a better defender. So that's how I see it. How do you see it? You know, Bogues, like it's funny with these comments, right? Like, hey, fuck it. If he thinks he's the best defender, great. But everybody makes a big deal of it. The James Harden MVP thing yesterday or a couple of days ago. People get so angry though. They get so angry. It's like, it's like, what do you want him to say? I'm not the, uh, yeah. And there is a bit of cockiness and arrogance, um, especially here in Australian culture. We kind of don't do that, but- Hey, man, if you think you're the best and you want to go out there and put that on the line, you're adding more pressure on yourself, number one. There's more eyes on you now every game. There's going to be these arsehole analytics guys that are like, oh, yeah, you're not. You're this. They're going to really scrutinize what you're doing. But, I mean, I just don't understand why people get so rolled up about it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's the best of all time. Now, he's changed some shit because he could defend multiple positions. And, you know, some of these great defenders that played before him are are pretty good, but they they didn't have to deal with the switching that he has to deal with and stuff. So it's a little bit different. I like Jordan, Kobe, Gary Payton, Hakeem Olajuwon, Tony Allen's up there. You know, Tony, uh, Kobe told me that Tony was the toughest defender he had to face on and off the ball because he was so high, you know, the high IQ that he got from working with Thibodeau. But Again, these things, it's like, who's the best player of all time? Well, who the fuck's gonna, who the fuck's gonna prove you wrong? You know, like, if, if, if he thinks he's the best or somebody thinks he's the best, fuck it, go with it. But everyone's gotta get up in arms about some fucking guy saying, I'm the best defender ever. Look, 
If you want to go to war and you want to fucking have Draymond Green in your team, if you want him to say, well, I think I'm the 28th best defender of all time, fuck no. Like, you're in the foxhole with that motherfucker. If he says he's the best defender of all time, fuck it. Just roll with it. Just, hey, that's that's life. But, yeah, everyone gets so fucking, you know, fired up when these play. You know, they want the best out of these players. They want them to get more and more and more out of them on the court. And then they say, I'm the MVP or I'm this, I'm that. And everyone's fucking pissed off about it. It is fucking hilarious. Yeah, and I, yeah, I'd probably agree. I don't think he's the best defender of all time. I think he's one of the best defenders that has played our game. Yeah. That, that's that's what I'd put in there because, like you said, it's subjective too. Like, you, how are you going to compare Draymond Green with Bill Russell was playing in fucking Converse All Stars that were flatter than a you know piece of paper? You know, no grip on it. Like, it's like I hate comparing eras because there's there's so many different things that go into it. The speed of the game, analytics now is a big thing. They didn't even have computers in the fifties and sixties. Um, the equipment was shit back then, you know, no three-point line. It just the list goes on. So comparing eras, I don't do it. The all-time thing, I don't do it because it's it's subjective and it's everyone's opinion. But you can say you are one of the greats, and I, I would I would agree that he is one of the greats when it comes to an all being an all-round defender. Yeah, you don't think that uh, that five-man Jimmy Epstein uh, back in the sixties that Russell had to defend six-five and smoke three packs a day was, uh, <laughs> was you know was good as good as the players that have been played today. Yeah, he was the maintenance. He had to paint houses in the fucking off season. Uh, but he was, no, he, right. he was the maintenance guy at Boston Garden, I think. Yeah, he's my great great grandfather. Yeah, but like, uh, it's just it's just funny because people get so fired up. No, oh, no, no, it's like the it's like the Jordan and Jordan Kobe Lebron debate. You're just like you idiots. It doesn't ever going to end. We're going to be arguing this sh- for this shit. In the, in, oh, once, they're, once they're 80, 90 years old in a nursing home, they're still going to be like Jordan's better than Le-. you know. You're just like, all right, man, cool. When I was at Attack Athletics in Chicago, we had Joe Boylan who worked for Golden State with you. Yeah. Fucking, one of my first interns, love the kid, he's a complete fucking asshole sometimes. He had this list of the top 50 of all time, and he wanted to debate it every fucking day. I'd kick him out of my office every day, tell him to get the fuck out of here with those, that bullshit. <laughs> Who gives a fuck who's the, who's the best player of all time? I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck what you think. All I give a fuck about is, you know, what I'm having for fucking lunch today and what I'm having for dinner tonight. I can give two fucks about who you think the 13th best player of all time versus the 14th best. I don't give a fuck. If you think LeBron's the best player of all time, God bless you. If you think Jordan is, awesome. But all these fucking guys that get fired up about these lists of guys, if that's what you think, roll with it. Because at the end of the day, no one else gives a fuck anyway. I don't give a fuck who anyone thinks is the best. If that's what they think, that's what they think. Exactly. You're not moving the needle. NBL wrap real quick. Um, we're, we're about what are we halfway through the season almost? Read through that's not my quiz, by the way. Both. No, no, no. This is <clears throat> this isn't it. We'll get to that later. We're, we're gonna our story time is gonna be a, a pop quiz for pro. So the NBL table is starting to shore up a little bit. Perth number one, Melbourne two, Southeast Melbourne three, and then Sydney. That's our top four and finals contention. Illawarra, Brisbane, Adelaide, New Zealand, Cairns. A few notes for me. I think Perth are gonna hold on to that number one. They have a massively home loaded schedule which they usually do towards the end of nbl seasons but they've, they've won five straight right now um that i can see maybe even more they're, they're 12 and 4 they're balling bryce cotton's having a phenomenal mvp type year again melbourne um had a few injuries they hit a bit of a, a lull they were t- i think they were undefeated at one point and then have uh, lost a few they're 13 and 5 i think beyond that it's pretty wide open sydney have a really loaded home schedule coming up as well they played a lot of away games because of the coronavirus they had them based interstate 
Illawarra's come back down to earth. They've lost a fair few lately. Uh, they're nine and eight. Brisbane are nine and eight. And then we have a drop off. Adelaide, Josh Kitty just got hurt. Hasn't played a few of the last games and they've, they've lost four straight. They're seven and 12. New Zealand, five and 11. Cairns is an interesting one, pro. So they have a guy named Cam Oliver and you'd know Scott Machado. They were one game away from the championship game last, last season, had a really good year and they ended up shoring up their roster. They, um, they ended up getting a guy named Mojave, Mojave, Mojave King, if I say that correctly. A young talent. They shorted up a little bit. They, they, they lost the perimeter guy. I um, mean, Newbel, who we've discussed before, but they they look horrible. They're four and 14. They've lost five straight. And they, you know, from almost being in a championship, we talk about Toronto in the NBA, they've, they've shit the absolute bed and look horrible. I had them picked in my top four and they're, they're dead last. So maybe I'll put the hoodoo on them. Jeez. What? Four and 14. That's rough. How's that boy, how's that boy, uh, Broker off doing? Broker off. Uh, they lost last night to Melbourne in the, in the all Melbourne derby, but he's, he's getting there. He's starting to play a little bit more minutes. He's, he's moving, moving much better. So it'll be interesting. And, and one note for them, Mitch Creek, he's their franchise guy. He actually got charged by the police. Um, and he's been stood down. Um, as of two weeks ago, I don't think he'll play another game, which hurts them. He's their marquee player, their their number one franchise guy. What did he get charged for? It's a pending assault allegation from a um, from a, a lady, a girl in uh, in Melbourne. So that will uh-huh. um, that will play out in the courts, I think, in April. But unfortunately for him, that that basically. You know, they have a rule here, most leagues do, that if you get charged, it's not um, innocent or proven guilty. You're basically stood down to your court case. So, you know, he's going to have to go to court and, and see how that goes. And I've heard mixed reports about, about what's happened. So, I won't, I won't discuss any of that because it's all alleged, but we'll see how that all pans out. But it does does beg an interesting question that if he's, if he's found um, that he, you know, did nothing wrong in court. What what happens to his salary and what happens to his you know contract and all that kind of stuff and and then vice versa. If he is proven guilty, is is his future years in the league at jeopardy? So we'll, we'll follow that closely. But not not a good thing for them. They'll have a phenomenal year, pro. They'll they'll you know they're a new franchise. This is their second third year in the league and they're, they're in the top four. Mitch was having a fantastic year. A knock on him was he was in the NBA for about a year. No, that his three ball wasn't good and he's actually shooting it at a really good clip and 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 a high number. So we had him in yeah, Dallas in the summer. Good kid. I mean, he was great for us. Did everything we asked him for during summer league and stuff. Yeah, good kid. Uh, that's that's that sucks. Yeah. So we'll look. We'll continue to watch the NBL from afar for you. Um, but yeah, it's looking to be a pretty close season and, and looking to get pretty exciting. So we'll keep an eye on that. Fact or fake news? I drew. I wrote these up today for your pro. So hopefully they um pick your brain a little bit. But first one. All right. Steph Curry. Will win another championship with the Golden State Warriors. I agree. I, I think it's fact. I think I'm going to assume that Thompson's going to come back. Uh, Draymond can still operate at a high level. Uh, I think Wiseman's going to get better. Uh, I do worry about you know. I do worry about like that other guy. You know, it was, Har- it was Harrison Barnes. You know, early on in their in their championship years. You know, then, then they got KD, and it's it's hard to replace now because they're in salary cap hell, and they really can't, you know, they really can't just go out and get a guy. I, I you know, I really don't trust, I don't trust Wiggins to be that guy. Maybe he could do me wrong, but, you know, that's, that's probably going to be a big thing trying to acquire that next guy. But they've got, you know, that's what I'm saying. If they keep losing, they could have another pick. They could have Minnesota's pick. I think they'll win a championship. I know they're getting up there in age, but... You know, it, those guys together, those three, plus you, you got Wiseman and some other guys, 
you know, I, I think they're going to win another championship. What so do you think? You're essentially Bob? saying they're going to, I mean, Seth's just turned 33 years old. He's probably got another year or two at the level he's playing at now, and then there'll be a, probably a steady decline. Maybe he's got another, you know, get to 36, 37, 38 with the way he shoots the ball. You're essentially saying that next three years they're winning it. I, I, I go fake news. I, I don't think they will. And the reason why is Clay's had really, two really bad injuries. I think it's going to take him a full year of playing NBA basketball to get back to that elite level. Um, I think he'll be good. I think he's still going to be a shoot shoot the ball like he does and all that. But Clay's strength was he he played both ends so well. You know he's an all league defender in my opinion. Very underrated at times. Very good on the ball. Um, just has size and length and and battles for a shooting scoring guy. That's very very rare. And then he can fill it up. So to get the legs back to do both ends um, on a consistent basis will take him a year. And their bench, um, I just. I don't like the bench, in my opinion, even when you get those guys back. So, I, I don't think – I think they'll be competitive, uh, maybe top four in the West with everyone healthy, but I, I don't think they have enough to win. Shame on you for thinking that Juan Toscano-Anderson ain't going to take them to the promised land. But I'm going to ride on the shoulders of Juan Toscano-Anderson to take us to the promised land. He's a solid role player, though. I think he's a role player. He's not bad. But, like, yeah, I just think- Oh, yeah, I'm just just bullshit. I just think that bench is just not- It's not that good. It hasn't been good for a while. Even their later championship years, usually, like, those championship teams, you know, I know what they did with, like, the Bulls and stuff at the end. I'm not talking about, like, getting Rodman. I'm talking about the championship teams could really add those bench pieces. And I thought early, the first championship years, they had it. And then the last couple, they really didn't have it. Their bench was pretty poor. Well, now those guys are going to Brooklyn and and the Lakers and the Clippers, so they've got they've got competition now where they're not that they're not that buyout destination they once were. You know where David West and those guys, you know, would be happily to go to. So we'll watch that. Well, if we're doing the podcast in three years, we'll revisit that. <laughs> I don't think I'll be alive in three years, but if if we do, I'll talk about it. No, you got your Peloton uh, treadmill, didn't you? Oof, yeah. How about that? Five, talk about five grand. I could have literally lit that five grand on fucking fire and probably be doing me better, better for my cardio than this fucking thing. It is a hell on wheels. I definitely want to do a, a, a piece next week on let's, let's see how long Pro can go on his Peloton before he dies. So uh, up in Vegas has it at four and a half minutes. Or maybe we can do a, a segment while you're running on it just to, just to hear how hard it is. That would be about a six-minute fucking podcast. <laughs> Because I'd, I'd, I'd start to see fucking green spots in about a minute and a half. Uh, baby steps, man. My son's going to actually have to go on my shoulders with a fucking uh, fishing rod with a donut in front of me. It's the only way I'll stay on that thing. <laughs> All right. All right, next one. With, with the, the trades made, Miami will make the conference finals. You know how I am with Miami. I think they're a really good team. I think their coach is probably the best in the league. I think they can. I think they're they're a little inconsistent, but Oladipo really helps them. Uh, they're really struggling shooting, but I think they're gonna. I think they definitely can make the. Uh, I think they definitely can make the conference finals. I say fact. What about yeah. you? I mean, so they're, so they're competing with basically. Brooklyn, Milwaukee, and if Boston gets their shit together, they're probably the three they're competing with. Oh, sorry, and Philly. I forgot about Philly. So, ooh, I will say fake news. Fake news, yeah. I think I think Brooklyn will be in there, and I think it's going to be the Philly or Milwaukee in the conference finals. Next one, Nikola Jokic will win the MVP. Fuck. I mean, I, I said Durant was going to win the MVP. He's been out for a month right after I said it, so... I don't think uh, Jokic's agent or his family wants me to pick him, 
Uh, fuck it. Yeah, I would say fact. With all the guys missing games and he's putting up these numbers, I say fact. I think it's good for the league. I think he can win the I think he will win the MVP. I'd agree. Yeah, I think his numbers are just absolutely insane right now. 27 what is he at? 27.2 points. Seventh, that's seventh, seventh in the league, 11.1 rebounds, eighth in the league, 8.6 assists, sixth in the league, and his per is 33.05. That's a cumulative number put together about good things you do and bad things you do, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I mean, he's averaging 27, 11, and almost nine. That is enough. I don't know. I mean, now with all these increased minutes by Mo Bamba with this trade- or I, I like like I like to call him No Bamba, like no way fucking Mo Bamba's making your team better. But you think Mo Bamba could challenge for this MVP or what? <laughs> Why are you going at my man Mo Bamba, man? I don't know, man. I'm waiting for him. I'm waiting for Mo Bamba to do something. Now he finally has the minutes. He's, sh- he's shooting about 12% from three. I'm waiting for him to do something. This is everyone talks about how great this kid is. I want to see him doing something. I don't know why I threw him in this nickel. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was saying, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I was I, I got this database where I could scan uh, depth charts and stuff, and I just saw Mo Bamba's name, so I said, you know what? Let me talk. Let me give Mo Mo a little press because no one really talks about Bamba. I might as well throw him in some tomfoolery. Put him in the pod. But yes, I agree. For fact, Jokic will win the MVP. He could do a better job of doing more Instagram and and tweeting and try to build his profile. Um, that's where he's lacking a little bit in his MVP voting. Um, and, and, and sucking off the media but otherwise his basketball play has been phenomenal so you can't fault that but um, LeBron's injury doesn't doesn't help Embiid being out doesn't help and even with the injuries you can't take away the year he's having he's putting up phenomenal numbers I just hope they can actually make a push in the playoffs because I mean they're, they're, they're a really good regular season team much like the Phoenix Suns of old but let's see if Malone can get them to the next phase alright let's get on to Q&A so we can hurry up and give you this pop quiz okay this one's probably more for you. You understand this a bit better than me. And I think you touched on it earlier. Question is from Max Vadis. I heard you talk about the lux- luxury tax a lot over the last few weeks. Was wondering, couldn't an owner be like, fuck it and just buy whoever he wants in the league and pay his own money for them and just go over the cap? Or is there a limit on how much you can go over the cap? Yeah. So, um, try to explain this quickly. Depending on the BRI, uh, you know, the money the league makes from the year before, they figure out the salary cap for every team in the league. Salary cap is about 109 million. Now, what happens is you can you could spend 109 million if you have your own player that you've had for more than two years, so three years or more. You could sign them to an extension if they're eligible, if they if their contracts up, and you can actually go over the cap. You're allowed to now 109. You can't go over unless you're signing your own players that you've had for three years or more. So that's the only way they let you go over. Now, there's a difference between the cap which is 109 million and then the luxury tax which is about 133 million. So you have that sort of like middle zone from 109 to 132 where you can go over once you start going over the ca- the tax in some cases it's a dollar for dollar every dollar you spend over the tax you got to pay back to the league and then it gets split up um, with the teams and then like if you go way over the tax then you start getting taxed a dollar and a half a dollar, two dollars every dollar. And then you also have these things called mid-level exceptions, which is the mid-level exception is the average salary of every player in the league. It's about nine million bucks, I think. And if you're over the cap, 
you could use this $9 million player ex- uh, um, mid-level exception. I think you could sign it up to four years. So you could sign a player. So it goes like $9 million and then goes up like, I think, 12.5% every year or so. So you can there are some things, but you can't just go out and say, well, I want LeBron. and I, I literally want to bring back the 92 Dream Team and just sign every great player because you do have these rules where you can only spend up to $109 million and then – uh, up to 132 is the tax, and then it goes. Then you start getting really taxed, especially as a small market team. You can't really do that. So no, you can't just go out and get it and get everybody like that. Yeah, and I think the next there's 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 levels of tax too, right? Isn't isn't there a one x tax, then a two x, then a three x, and then then it stops, right? Something like that. Yeah, and then like if you if you spend a certain amount in the tax. Then your mid-level exception is called now the mini mid-level, which it goes from like nine million to like five million. So you can't you can't use that full mid-level anymore, depending on how much money you spend. So yeah, there are different levels of the tax. Like that's why with the James Harden thing when they when they dealt in the Houston, Oklahoma City, because the the owner didn't want to go in the tax. And some of these owners, especially in the small markets, they, they can't afford the tax and they don't want to go into it like these big teams can, like, you know, like the Lakers or, you know, in New York or something like, like we talked about in reform of pods. So like the Knicks could spend 300 million and, you know, he could owe 200 million in tax money and he'll just say, fuck it. I'll just raise ca- cable 28 cents a month and get my money back. Like most of these owners can't do that. So there is a sort of a by, bylaws of how you got to follow it and, that's why it's structured out that way where you, there's only a certain amount of money for the cap and then the luxury tax and then, you know, some of the things that you can do to go around it. I hope that answers your question, Max. Next one, loving the pod and no filter conversations with pro. Too many people are scared to say what they really think nowadays, so keep up the zero fucks given approach. Thank you. Having said that, not sure if you can. I want to answer this. I want to know if the senior players like yourself, Paddy Mills, Joe, Joe Ingles, and Matt Delavadova get any say in the makeup of the national team. Last World Championships, there were some dubious selections, um, mentioned some names, leading to some nepotism calls against Lamanis, who coaches the Bullets. Creek, Mitch Creek eventually got in when Cooks got injured and had a way better tournament than the others who originally beat him to a spot. Keen to hear your opinion on the selection policies in national teams and if there's anything else that goes into it behind the scenes. All right, so I'll answer this one real quick. So we've touched on this before. With the national team stuff, a lot of times guys will get in on that 10, 11, 12 spot that are just good role players, good locker room guys. They're not going to bitch and roan about minutes. I'm not saying anyone that didn't make the team would do that. The Mitch Creek thing's Specifically, in training camp, Mitch Creek, he was really struggling from shooting the ball from three. Um, and he's corrected that this past season. He's shooting the hell out of it. But during that training camp, um, he came from the, from the, you know, I think he had a good NBL season, came back. He was just really struggling to shoot the ball. Um, and that was the concern with bringing him in versus Xavier Cooks. And Xavier Cooks during that camp shot the piss out of the ball. Um, he didn't have a great shooting year that following season in the NBL, but during that camp, he shot it really well. So that's where that probably went. And it, I think Creek was potentially the last guy cut. And then Cooks got injured. We brought him back in. He had a phenomenal um, world championships for us. But look, we do get consulted um, as players in the leadership group, but it, it does come down to the coach. We we would all get asked who we, who we would like, what lineups we like, who we think are starters, who we think are bench players. And then the coaches would, would – essentially make the last decision we'd have no input as far as i definitely don't want this guy on the team um so we we, we get potted a little bit but 
I mean, the amount of prodding was a couple of minutes and then they move on to the next guy and then they make their cuts. But it's a tough one. You have to have a balanced roster. And like I said, people look at Cam Glidden and Nathan Sobey. They they had a really good camp as well. Um, Glidden did one really th- one really good thing and that's shoot the ball from three. We knew if he was out there, no one's leaving him. And Sobey's energy was, was really good throughout camp. So people thought that it was political pro because those two guys played for the national team coaches club team. But I don't think that was the case by any means. And you can't have a team of, of 12 superstar names it just just doesn't work that way and he had one more question which which I'll get you to weigh in a little bit as well he wanted to know how hard it was to get no trade clauses into a contract um, is this only reserved for superstars or can you trade off for it in a contract example I'll take less money for more security I would imagine the guys like you with young families would value the certainty of being in one place for a while for the purposes of kids schooling and friends and that was from Ryan in Southern River WA I can only speak for uh, myself trade kickers generally sorry uh, trade clauses There'd be a handful of guys that get those over the last 10, 15 years that I've seen. Um, Kobe, I think Kobe was one of them. You rarely will get a trade clause no matter who you are. The best you can probably do is a trade kicker. Um, so, you can basically get you know 10 or 15% of your contract on top of what you're already earning if you get traded. But the no trade clause thing is very, very rare. I mean, pro, how many players do you know personally um, that have had no trade clauses? The only players that I heard that did it, now I don't know if they changed it in the, the last CBA, but the last two that I knew was Carmelo and LeBron. Now, up to a certain point, I think that the rule, folks, to make you eligible for uh, to have a no-trade clause is you need to play eight years in the league and you have to play at least four years with your current team. And then when you resign I think you get the no trade clause but with all this movement in the league not many people are going to be eligible for that and I don't know if they changed that criteria but I've it's very it's very uncommon to have no trade clauses I think it's more I think baseball maybe baseball and football or American football is probably a little bit easier to get no trade clauses than it, it is to get it in uh, in the NBA. Yeah, and Ryan, I mean, if you offered to take less money for a no trade clause, you probably still wouldn't get it. I mean, you might get a trade kicker at best, but the teams are very against doing that for obvious reasons. Um, and that's just the, the, the business that we're in. We know that we could get traded on a whim, we could be moved on, we could be cut, we could be waived, and you got to kind of adapt with your kids and the schooling and friends. And like I said, there's numerous players that have been set up in a city and think they're going to be there for a while, and then get traded they'll end up leaving their family there for that very reason the kids are happy in school the wife's happy there and they'll go and and just wherever they've been traded they'll work there and then figure things out in the off season um but generally i've, I've played with some guys that have had their families completely based somewhere else um, for their last three or four years of their career and that's just the sacrifice you have to make next one how do you feel about the way the current nba is covered by journalists tv personalities fans it's consistently what a player can't do they're overpaid and all negatives for the most part and not one person will ever say, I actually don't know or let's see how this plays out. For example, when an 18-year-old is coming into the NBA, everyone decides they're college experts and come out with shit like, I just don't think this kid can be a leader. You compare this to how the NFL is covered and I find the NFL is a lot more positive, thorough and productive with how media talk about their players. I hope this makes sense, but what are our thoughts on that? That's from J- Jacob in Kuji, Um, and he also started off by saying he really loves the show, how raw it is and this was basically something that really bothered him and, and he hated but how do you how do you what are your thoughts on that because i think it it does it does um present itself much more in the nba than other leagues so you think it's negative see i think it's i think 
I think everybody, like nobody can do anything wrong in this league, you know, and no one's really controversial, but not even controversial, but like actually have the balls to say, hey, this guy stinks or this guy. I mean, I, I guess everyone's got feelings, but this guy is not good. It seems like that to me. Maybe I don't study the media like other people, but it seems like it's way over positive, to be honest, and not enough people like actually saying now the talking head bullshit that you hear from some stations that like, you know, they just they just like clickbait and they just like to argue to argue. But I'm just like journalists in general. It seems like everybody does everything great. You know, like uh, I don't think there's enough people who actually like give an educated thought at especially a critique. What I really don't like about the league, Bogues, is how most, not all, but most journalists like they don't really have real sources. Their sources are them. Like they want they want you to think that there's a trade like a trade brewing, and they'll make up my sources tell me this or my sources tell you that, and they have no sources. That's why I like the media 15, 20 years ago that actually had real sources, and not everybody, but most, and are actually reputable about how they cover things. But the positivity, I think it's more positive than negative. What What are your thoughts, folks? Well, first off, half of their sources are a bottle of ketchup or barbecue sauce, but I think the I think with young players I I would agree with with him to an extent um, with Jacob in Kudji I think with young players we see you know these big stars come out of college oh well he doesn't do this or he doesn't do that I think with stars it's a little bit different but we see it with Ben Simmons a little bit we do definitely see it with a guy like that it just constantly is he can't shoot threes he can't shoot threes he can't shoot threes well he just had 15 10 and 8 and controlled the tempo of a game and was a monster on the defensive end but generally in every article there'll be some asshole that writes oh he didn't attempt a three today and you're just like i think that is a valid point but yes i think for the most part there is a lot of people that um are scared especially look for you to understand jacob like there's a lot of journalists that if you're a beat writer for a team, let's say the Boston Celtics, the Chicago Bulls, you need to interview these players after every game, training session, shoot around. So there's a there's a strategy that if you shit on a player or you're too hard on a player, that player will just stop talking to you and that, that hurts you as a journalist. So if that's a number one, number two star on a team, I'm making this up, let's say it is Ben Simmons. His comment carries a whole lot more weight than Korkmaz, for instance, right? So if your article wants clicks, if you want people reading it, you need Ben Simmons' comment. If you piss him off and he stops talking to you and won't give you anything, you're you're hindering your own journalism. You're hindering your own job and, and, and access to your articles. So there is a bit of a strategy there where journalists will try to toe the line and not go too hard. There are some freelancers that are cowboys and, and are on the opposite spectrum that just try to find controversial stupid shit to write about like pro said with clickbait but i think there's a good mix i think um i think with younger guys it is frustrating when they get critiqued like wiseman right now i follow a lot of people that um a former warriors media or involved in the warriors that oh, poor kid's getting getting <laughs> getting mauled by some people because number one they're a winning franchise so they're a little bit impatient but this is a young kid that needs to develop in a unique system that he hasn't played before like give him some time give him give him two or three or four years and then then let's reevaluate but you know, calling for him to do things that he's not comfortable with at the moment. Oh, he doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. Well, shit, like give him a little bit more time. So I'd, I'd half agree there. I'd sit on the fence a little bit. And, you know, the journalists that like open up evaluations with, well, his e-field goal percentage is this, or, you know, his, uh, like his, all these, his warp stats, his PER, like 
Like, that's where I know a journalist has no fucking idea what they're talking about. I don't mind if you throw analytics into an evaluation. That's fine. You know, that's just the way it is. But, like, tell me why that player is good or not good. And then, like, it, you, you, you follow in the story of analytics where, like, you know, everybody's got to shoot threes. Every center's got to shoot threes. You know, everybody's got to be able to shoot. Why don't this guy shoot? Why don't this guy shoot? Well, that's maybe not in their game. And like you said, like a Wiseman who's developing. You know, look, fuck, Kevin Durant's one of the best fucking offensive players of all time. The fucking guy shot 25% his first year in the league. Like, you got to give these time, these guys time to develop. But, like, I just don't like that out of journalists as well. Like, when they open up everything, like, you hear it a lot on ESPN, you know, when you listen to those guys, like, argue on stuff. Like, they'll just throw you nine or ten analytical stats without telling you what that player can do or what they can't do and why and how that impacts winning. They want to just throw these fucking these like general fucking like eight or nine stats that they want to throw at you oh their pace or their defensive rating well tell me the guy can't guard fucking pick and roll he can't keep anybody in front of him i'd i'd actually respect that all right then his foot speed's bad but no like you know like this stat this stat that stat this stat yeah that stat might tell you something but tell me in your own words why a guy can't play or can play but uh, this whole bullshit about just like throwing out all these fucking numbers. And again, I'm not way anti-analytic, but when you're trying to make a thought, I've seen these analytic guys try to talk in meetings, in scouting meetings, and like they'll throw that out at you instead of like, all right, well, you got a bunch of basketball people in the, in the room, like give us why this player is good or not, and then back it up with your data. But like, I think too many journalists want you to think that they know what the fuck they're talking about when it takes them four hours to make minute rice. They don't know what the fuck they're looking at anyway. They, they could have, you know, you could have a bunch of fucking like football players playing basketball and they would have no idea who's playing what. But like, they want to like make you think that they know a lot by throwing these term, this terminology at you, you know, and that's what gets me a little bit by how the league's covered. Yeah. yeah. And me are Tories. They're awesome. Grifters essentially in the um, journalistic industry with the nba that just will read an analytics report or a stat sheet and then come in thinking they they know everything and then i used to like actually press some of those people and um fire some things back at them just to see how much they really knew and you could tell all they knew was what they read on that stat sheet <laughs> they couldn't elaborate much further so it makes it pretty funny but um i don't talk about nutrition do i i just stay in my fucking lane and things that i actually know and care about you've mentioned green smoothies a few times yeah, you know what? It's one of those bullshit PER stats I just threw out there. My, my wife put it on a sticky note on my desk. I just had to mention it. It's green Kool-Aid. <laughs> yeah, green Kool-Aid, shamrock shake from McDonald's. All right, next one. Hey, ABN Pro, really enjoying the pod. It's fresh and informative. Always looking forward to every episode. My question is, Kawat Noy, he's a Cairns Taipans player, suffered an injury during the Sydney Kings Taipans game on the weekend, 90 seconds out in the third quarter prior to the play. Sydney Kings player on that spot. Fell on that spot, leaving sweat marks. You can even see Daniel Kickett shouting to wipe the floor. He was on the bench. Do you think the mop guy should be trained or at least read on the situations or when they should and shouldn't go on court? Or do you think it could have been prevented? You can actually see the guy handing towels to the players and staff to help him wipe the floor instead of him. He looked clueless. Not having a go at the guy, just an observation. That's from Rain Sydney. Look, I think there is a bit of an issue um, here in Australia sometimes, pro, that they give the floor wiping duties to, I know back in the day and even to this day sometimes, to just like random kids, like to, to be able to sit courtside and they were the floor wipers. And they soon realized that that doesn't work because the kid's, Number one, are intimidated and scared to go on a court with 10,000 people in an arena and 
and didn't didn't know how to clean and what to look for. So I think they they've given them a bit of training now, but I think it needs to be revisited because um, you can't have wet spots and and it is tough because if in the flow of play a player falls over, slides, it leaves a wet mark, no one notices it. Usually you put that on the refs, and the refs already have so much. Thing, things to be stressing about and making sure they don't miss but I've noticed the last couple of games the referees have done a pretty good job of whenever there's a, a fall a big fall with two or three players um, they'll let that transition happen to the other end and then as soon as that transition ends they'll blow the whistle and get it cleaned up so that's the best you can do unfortunately it is a, a sport where safety is paramount but that's one of those things that you can't overly control um, but I do agree at times there are some the NBA has done a phenomenal job of it they they train those kids and make sure they know what they're doing um, you just need to do the same with, with the young kids and, and there probably needs to be a, an age where you cut off. So I think below 15, maybe 16, you probably don't have those kids wiping the floor as much as it's a great spectacle for them and they enjoy it. Probably not the best safety-wise. So I'm not sure if you have much on that, bro. Yeah, you know, Bugs, we live in a world of, I call it the land of nobody gives a fuck. Especially in low-level jobs like that, just wiping up things. Everybody's on their fucking phone. No one actually cares about doing their job like with any type of like enthusiasm or pride. And like, they just don't give a fuck. And they'll just do a half-assed job just because that's it. Especially young people, unfortunately, because technology makes us all stupid. And everybody's a fucking zombie on that phone. But like, I, I noticed that with young people trying to get them to do, and even older people, trying to get them to do remedial things like that, simple things like that. They got no, like, they got, like I said, a land and nobody gives a fuck, like, you know, and that's a problem. Like, I see that in the NBA, I see it in college, and not everywhere, but a lot of places. You see them on their phones, they're not paying attention, you know, especially with all these athletes that could, you know, Achilles, knee, ankle, God forbid, knock on wood, like, fuck, like, you know, it's an important job, even though you think it's just mopping shit up, it's fucking important, especially, you know, especially if it, if there's a lot of condensation in the court, you got all these guys running around and, you know, crashing into each other, it's a... Uh, you know, it's something that you, people should be properly trained and, you know, held accountable if they don't do that shit right. But fuck do I know? No, no, you agree. I mean, it's a work safety issue. And I know back in the day they had at least the run competitions pro where you could be be a floor sweeper for a day, you know, at a game. And it's like, no, 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 we can't we can't be doing that. Like this is a this needs to be taken seriously. So the days of having kids that, that are just there as part of – they won a competition at their Kmart or Target or whatever it was. Um, we can't have that. But um, last one real quick. Hey, Bogues, big fan of yours. In your My Story Pods, you've talked about pl- that you played multiple sports. So my question questions are, if you never played basketball, what sport sports were you good at and what sport would you have ended up with if you didn't do basketball? For me, probably just growing up in Melbourne by default, I enjoyed playing it too. Australian rules football, AFL was a game I enjoyed playing. So being the size I am, I would have been a ruckman and would have fit in pretty well there. But a game I really enjoyed and still do to this day, I love playing tennis. Um, I'm not that good at it, but can get move around the court a little bit. I'm pretty long, got some length. So but I just enjoy playing that. I think it's a really cool sport. Um, won't be good for the joints as I get older, but a game I really just enjoy the competitiveness and just the like tennis much like golf essentially it's just that mental battle it just it just it can mind fuck you like you know you and you watch these big games five setters where a guy's rolling for two sets and one thing changes and then loses two sets and i love that that chess battle in, in your mind um but pro what did you what did you grow up playing besides yourself i wobbled around the court once in a while uh with tennis i love tennis tennis is my you know it's a great sport to watch it's a great sport to play the mental battle of getting it up over the net and it's unbelievable when i was in high school i used to piss everybody off 
because when my opponents that I would play, I was terrible, like I am in any fucking sport. And uh, I would lob the ball. I, one thing I could do is I could lob it like 35 feet in the air. And I'd have guys that are like five, number three in the state, number one in the state. I remember I was the last seed in the state tournament. And this guy beat me. I don't think I fucking... But I would, I said, I know I'm going to lose 6-0, 6-0 on this one, but I'm going to go out swinging. And I fucking, I would have that lob that went 35 feet would piss this fucking guy off. That would probably be a, <laughs> you know, but as you know, I like to bust people's balls, but I, I love tennis, man. I love watching it. Um, I'm a big fan of Andre Agassi. I, lo- I read his book. His book's fantastic. And I just like the mental side of tennis as far as the training and, you know, how, how those players become really good and, yeah, I, I love tennis. I love the, the sound of the ball and the racket. I love watching the majors. It's a uh, it's a fantastic sport. I, I, I love I love tennis. There we go. Agree. Okay, now pop quiz time, pro. Ah, fuck. To wrap it up. Are you nervous? Yeah, why not? Mm. Well, yeah, pro doesn't know this wasn't on the run sheet. It was a f- surprise. This will be part of instead of our story time. So I'm going to give you an Aussie citizenship test, pro. Ah, fuck. You got five words. I'm going to give you, and you got to give me the meaning of them. Oh, for five. I'm like Mo Bamba from three. You might get a few. All right. So the first one, what is a Sheila? Uh, woman. Bang. One for one. Nice. One for one. All right. Next one. What is the duck's nuts? Duck nut. Duck's nuts. Like, quack, like a duck? Duck's nuts. Is that some kind of fetish duck porn that I don't know about? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's been- I have no like, fucking idea. Direct. Okay. So the duck's nuts in Australia means it's- it's the best. The duck's nuts. The best. Don't ask me why. Okay. But it's some slang we have. So if you said something was that's the best steak, that's the duck's nuts of steaks. Okay. Next one. So you want for two. Next one is what is a wanker? Oh, it's me and a fucking asshole. Yes. There you go. Jerk off, asshole. Take that. Yep. That's a wanker. So we're two. You for called three. me a wanker for the first two months. You didn't even call me pro for the first two months. I thought I was. <laughs> I thought my last name was wanker. Oh, and I use words much worse than wanker. I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, All right, so you're two for three, man. You might go. Let's see if you can get three, three for five. No, no four, chance. Four, but go ahead. Last one. I think you get this one. What's a bloke? I mean, isn't it like sort of like a wanker? You fucking bloke, like a blowhard, like an uh, like a fucking moron. No, sorry, bloke. We, bloke is the opposite of a Sheila. So it's a man. Oh, it's a guy. It's a guy. Yeah, bloke. He's a good bloke. He's a good man. When I told the guy to bloke me the other day, I, I, I was fu- I fucked that one up. <laughs> well, it depends what he did. Ah, fuck. All right, go ahead. All right, the last one. This one has two meanings. So, what is a stubby? A dubby? No, stubby. Stubby. S-T-U-B-B-Y. Stubby. Ah, oh, fuck. Uh, I don't know. I, I would say... I would say a guy... I don't know. A guy with half a fucking leg? Who? What the fuck is a stubby? <laughs> Actually, close. So, the uh, adult-rated meaning of that would be a an erection. A stubby. And... Uh, Otherwise, it's known as a, a stubby is a, a glass beer bottle. So, a stubby. Huh. A stubby. Folks, I don't know how the fuck I'm a citizen of this country. Now, you want to give me a fucking <laughs> test of how to get into another country? Two for, two <laughs> I'm for, already two one for, five. for one. I'm f- two for five. Not too bad. I mean, you got, not bad. You got Wanker and Sheila. So, that, I mean, they're pretty, two pretty important ones. And you, you, you're living okay if you know what a woman and a, and a wanker is. See, some jerk-off fucking journalist is going to think I'm fucking pretty good. My PER is pretty hot. Maybe next week you can do some American slang. That can be your project. 
Hey, folks, anyone who listens to this podcast knows many American sayings. None of them are good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, man, thanks. Before we go, did you see that Bradley Beal video today? Oh, God, no. Oh, no, 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 it's actually a good one. Go go Google it. Anyone that uh, hasn't seen it yet, he uh, he runs an AU team. And and I've known yep. Bradley. I, I've, I don't know him well, but I went to China with him on a Nike trip, and he's a great dude, works his ass off. Um, so he's talking to these guys. Probably, I don't know the context. Like, I don't know what happened before, but it seems like those guys were, you know, they, they were jacking off. Like, they were as far as, like, they weren't giving effort. And he just basically let them know. So, look, in the NBA – like they take your fucking money. You guys think you're all this. This is what happens when you don't show up. When you don't, you, know, you you don't bring it every day. You're not a professional. It's not just about playing. You guys want to be pros. There's only 400 guys. I could bust every one of your asses, and it, to get in this league, you got to beat me. And, and, and it was really good, but it wasn't it wasn't overly negative. But it was something that like all young players need to hear. So I didn't know if you you seen it. It it just broke on the internet like maybe five hours ago. It was pretty cool. We'll check it out. It's a good one. Yeah, great story. All right, man. Thank you. That's, that's uh, episode 14 at Rogue Bogues on all your social media platforms, all podcast platforms, and at Hoop Consultants for Mike Pro's analysis of the beautiful game. <laughs> Thanks, bro. Appreciate it, both. Thanks.